This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome back to Deconstructed. To kick off the new year, we're bringing you an extra show this week. Today, we'll be talking to Trita Parsi, Executive Vice President of the Quincy Institute for Sustainable Statecraft. It's a new foreign policy think tank trying to push back on the Washington blob. Parsi is an author and a longtime observer of U.S.-Iran relations, and he's been growing increasingly alarmed at the possibility that a cornered Trump is attempting to launch an assault on Iran in his waning days. He joins us now to talk about what he's been seeing and how we got where we are. Trita Parsi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So we're, we're talking today on uh, Monday, January 4th. Uh, yesterday, so that would be Sunday, January 4th, that was the first anniversary of the assassination of Qasem Soleimani. For people who haven't followed this terribly closely, how did the U.S. and Iran get in a situation where the an American president is assassinating an Iranian official in an, in an Iraqi airport? Well, it all started with Donald Trump becoming president and essentially having this obsession of undoing whatever he considered to be President Barack Obama's legacy. And on the foreign policy front, his biggest diplomatic victory was securing the Iran nuclear deal. That horrible, stupid deal. Which Trump rallied against extensively during the uh, presidential campaign. When you look at this horrible deal that Obama made, that President Obama made with Iran. It took him about a year before he managed to pull out of it because all of his advisors, at least the original team, advised against it, recognizing the mm -hmm. tremendous damage it would do to U.S.'s uh, reputation, but also the da dangers it would create if the Iranians followed suit and also left the agreement and restarted their program. But this is what Trump did. And a year later, he, after pulling out, a year later, he pushed to actually reduce Iran's oil revenues to zero, uh, essentially economic warfare against the country. And mm -hmm. since then, the tensions were rising. And then we had the situation in which uh, Trump at first claimed that there was intelligence of some imminent attack. And that's why he did this. In recent days, he was planning new attacks on American targets, but we stopped him. But then later on in the congressional report, there was no mention whatsoever of any imminent attack or any intelligence suggesting that because it was clearly all made up. He saw an opportunity to do it that served his uh, short-term political interest and almost brought the United States into a major war with Iran. And what had Iran done to respond to, to Trump pulling out of the, the deal? Well, at first, the Iranians didn't do anything, and they were waiting for the Europeans and others to provide uh, the economic benefit the Iranians were promised that would come through the Europeans and others engaging in the Iranian economy. Now, that didn't happen because all the Europeans, even though they objected to Trump's sanctions and deemed them to be illegal, they nevertheless abided by them and, and left the Iranian market. So the Iranians were 
really not getting any of the economic benefit that they had been promised. They nevertheless stayed inside the deal, which I think is largely because they were making a calculation that they could wait three years to see if a different president would come and re-enter the deal. And if that didn't happen, then at that point, they could respond in mm -hmm. kind by pulling out of the deal or reducing their obligations. About a year or so ago, they did start reducing their obligations. And just today, they announced that they're going back to 20% enriched uranium, which is a very negative development, mm -hmm. uh, one that is easily reversed, though, but nevertheless shows the, the dangers and the cost right. of what Trump did. We're still seeing those consequences. How did the Iranian regime respond to the assassination of Soleimani? Well, it took them, I think, about three or so days, um, and they launched several missile attacks from their own territory targeting U.S. bases uh, or bases inside of Iraq with a lot of U.S. personnel mm -hmm. in it. Uh, fortunately, there was no one killed, but it is uh, not entirely clear why that is. There is one narrative that says that the Iranians deliberately made sure that there wouldn't be any casualties in order to make sure that they could respond but not provide Trump with either a pretext or pressure on him to uh, further escalate. But there's also folks that I've spoken to in the military who were there on the ground who said, you know, it was just pure luck. Uh, mm -hmm. Those were very massive missiles. And there's more than 110 or so Americans that were had to be flown out of Iraq to Germany because of concussions and other mm -hmm. types of brain damages that they got from those attacks. So I personally tend to believe that we frankly got lucky uh, and that had it not been for uh, the fact that no casualties had uh, took place, that they, this easily could have led to a full-scale war. And not so lucky was a civilian aircraft in Iran. What was the fallout from what we understand is an accidental downing of an airplane within their own borders? Yeah, this happened, I think, within uh, hours of the Iranians retaliating um, and, and hitting those missiles at the bases in Iraq, that they shot down uh, an airliner as they're flying out of Tehran airport. At first, they denied it. They said it was an, uh, you know, some sort of accident had occurred. Later on, uh, apparently under pressure from the Rouhani government, uh, the IRGC had to admit that actually it was they themselves who had shot down the airplane. And this caused um, a lot of anger inside of Iran, understandably, and a lot of protests. Now, Iranian protesters have defied a heavy police presence in Tehran for a third day. They're angry about the killing of 176 people on board a Ukrainian airliner. Iran's military shot it down by mistake while targeting U.S. forces in Iraq in retaliation for the assassination of Iranian General Qasem Soleimani. And then you saw huge crowds in the streets uh, for his funeral, and then something that the, you know, the government really kind of capitalized on. Uh, and then only days afterwards, you had protests, not necessarily as large, but nevertheless, a lot of anger because of the way that the Iranian government itself had mishandled. At the end of the day, if the Iranian military shoots down Iranian airliners, you're leaving the Iranian people both fearing an American attack and fearing an Iranian retaliation mm -hmm. because it's not going to be precise. Right, exactly. And so you recently uh, said that you spoke to a, a former U.S. military official who told you that he said that he thought that Trump starting a war with Iran now, like between now and the time that he is out of office, is, quote, probable. And he, and he said... It will relieve the pressure from the Georgia recording leaks and also lines up with the 5 to 6 January or January 5th to 6 internal politics. If nothing else, it leaves a mess for Biden. Hopefully, Iran shows some tactical patience. 
So I know you can't tell us who said that, but can, can you give us some sense of why this person felt that an attack was or is probable? Well, I've actually spoken to several uh, individuals, all with various degrees of access to information. And a lot of this is just frankly out in the open right now. We've mm -hmm. seen in the last couple of weeks, major escalation from the U.S. side. We have the U.S.'s Nimitz uh, deploying to the Persian Gulf, then pulling out, then pulling back in again, uh, saying that it's doing so because of threats from Iran. Hmm. Uh, B-52s that are flying right outside of Iranian airspace. Um, <clears throat> the Israelis uh, pushing one of their nuclear-armed submarines to the Persian Gulf, the U.S. sending a submarine with Tomahawk missiles on it, all seeing to you know build up towards some sort of a big... Um, climax. Now, in, in a charitable interpretation, this could have been to deter the Iranians from doing some sort of an attack around the time of Soleimani's mm -hmm. um, uh, anniversary. But to me, that was a little bit difficult to comprehend, partly because there were people in the Pentagon that publicly stated that there's absolutely no intelligence that corroborates right. the idea that the Iranians are planning an attack. Uh, but just also just logically, why would the Iranians have waited till now to do so? right before there's gonna be a, a much more diplomacy-oriented president coming into office. Why would they do that at this point? It just didn't seem to make a lot of sense. What did seem to make more sense, unfortunately, is that a desperate Trump, who has rarely shown any real care for American national interests and has been rather reckless um, in the way that he is conducting foreign policy, um, would, out of desperation or other factors, push for some sort of a confrontation. As this one gentleman said, you know, creating chaos for the next president. There's also reports in, in the Israeli media that Israel and Saudi Arabia have been lobbying Trump to attack Iran as a way to finally just kill the JCPOA and make it impossible mm -hmm. for Biden to return to it. So there could be numerous uh, calculations on Trump's side, many of them that I, in my estimation, seem more likely than the fact that the Iranians actually were planning an attack on the U.S., uh, right before Trump is about to leave office. A British MP, uh, Tobias Elwood, you know, also uh, speculated on Twitter that perhaps Trump was blocking Biden's access to, to, you know, to uh, intelligence briefings because he was planning something. And that planning would show up in those briefings. You know, for, for a British MP to say something like that, did, did you have any sense if, if this guy was just talking off the cuff, or is this somebody who who himself has access uh, to to high level information that uh, may be pushing him in that direction? Well, he is the chair of uh, the defense uh, committee or the defense right. subcommittee in the parliament. So I think it's safe to presume that this is a person that not only has access to information, but also very carefully decides whether to put out a tweet like that or not. Mm -hmm. You also had the Swedish foreign minister, former prime minister, uh, writing similarly, although not making an indication of access to intelligence. But, you know, the, the signs are public and, and quite visible. Now, had this been a different president with a completely different conduct, perhaps uh, it would be quite fair to say that some of the speculation is unwarranted. In the case mm -hmm. of Trump, I, I find it to be quite unconvincing to say that that is unwarranted, mindful of what he's already right. done, that has been rather reckless and, un and unpredictable. And what has been the general posture of the Israeli and Arab, Arab media? How full-throated and open have they been about the, the push to attack Iran at the, at the, at the, in the waning days of the Trump administration in order to make sure that the Iran deal can't get 
re-entered into and that, that relations with Iran in general are, are, are severed you know, irreparably. So from the Saudi side, you definitely have very strong statements about not a return to the JCPOA. Uh, and then they're putting forward like ideas in that they claim would make it more a better deal, but those are non-starters, and I, I uh, suspect that those are being put forward precisely in order to make it impossible to return. Such as the idea that you know you cannot have a nuclear deal unless the Saudis and the Emiratis are at the table, um, uh, and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Or from what the Israelis are, or the Trump administration argued for that you know a deal needs to include zero enrichment. That essentially means that the Iranians have no nuclear program whatsoever, and, and that would be a violation in their view of their NPT rights. So we've already tried that for 15 years. We don't. We know that it doesn't work, mm -hmm. and we know that the only thing it does is that it increases the likelihood of a military confrontation. So um, from the Israeli side, certainly you have plenty of people, including uh, Netanyahu himself, that has slipped on a few occasions and saying that his agenda is war. I mean, when he was at Poland for that anti-Iran conference that the uh, Pompeo State Department put together, he said that the Arabs and the Israelis are here together because of a uh, united goal of war with Iran. And then he tried to change, uh, claim that he meant it differently, et cetera. But the tape is there and the mm -hmm. words that he's used are, are correctly interpreted as saying war with Iran. The Saudis have been very careful not to say those kind of things publicly. But privately, we know that they have been pushing that for quite some time, preceding MBS. Thanks to the WikiLeaks, we know that even under King Abdullah, uh, the Saudis were actually you know, uh, pressing the Trump administration, the Obama administration very aggressively to take military action. The king himself had told uh, uh, the U.S. that uh, the U.S. needs to cut off the head of the snake, and the snake being Iran, meaning, you know, decapitate uh, the country as a whole. Um, so, and this is at a time when the Saudis publicly were pleading that there should not be any war and that the mm -hmm. region doesn't need any war. Um, no, it MBS himself has used language um, that does not necessarily suggest that he is pushing the U.S. to do so. But he had said right just months before uh, there was a terrorist attack in Iran that Saudi Arabia is now going to take the fight inside of Iran. Hmm. Um, so, you know, the tensions between these countries are very real. Uh, if you're sitting in Saudi Arabia and if you have the option of pushing the United States to take military action against Iran, that certainly seems to be preferable than the idea of the Saudis having to fight that war on their own, which they clearly could not do, or for them to actually, and this is worse, for them to actually have a negotiation with the Iranians and have to mm. agree to painful diplomatic concessions. This is, I think, the big danger here, that as long as the U.S. is militarily so present in the region, a lot of countries that are close to the United States will be disincentivized to engage in diplomacy because they can get a better outcome from their perspective by simply pushing the U.S. to take care of their problems militarily for them at the expense of the American people. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Joe Biden, during a debate, uh, famously said that uh, Saudi Arabia had become a pariah. Khashoggi was, in fact, murdered and dismembered. And I believe in the order of the crown prince. And I would make it very clear, we were not going to, in fact, sell more weapons to them. We were going to, in fact, make them pay the price and make them, in fact, the pariah that they are. There's very little social redeeming value of the, in the present uh, government in Saudi Arabia. You know, how, how, is, how is that comment and, and the, their, Saudi's understanding of the Biden's posture toward them kind of in, influencing this? Do they, do they think that that was just electioneering or, or are they taking seriously the possibility that this could be a much more brittle relationship than they've had before? I think the Saudis are very well aware that the climate that they're faced with in Washington is dramatically different than what it was just years ago. Seeing how the number of occasions that Congress has voted against Saudi Arabia, when it comes to Yemen, for instance, Mm -hmm. the mood in the country vis-a-vis Saudi Arabia has changed dramatically. They're well aware of it. Um, And I think they were hoping that if Trump had rewon the elections, they would get another four years in which they would have the type of protection that they had through the executive branch. But essentially, they have lost uh, Congress. Mm-hmm. They have the executive branch with this administration. They will not have it, most likely, with the next administration. I don't think the Biden administration is going to seek some form of a confrontation with the Saudis. But I would be surprised if they don't take the opportunity to recalibrate that relationship. And with that, also what the U.S.'s posture in the region writ large should be. Because there's a lot of pressure from inside the Democratic Party that the United States should not continue to support the Saudis in the war in Yemen. And the United States is in a position to be able to put tremendous pressure on the Saudis to end that war. Uh, many, we, we should not forget that war started under the Obama administration mm-hmm. with a tacit green light from the Obama administration. Most of those Obama officials have now gone on record quite clearly uh, opposing that war, regretting that decision. Um, and many of them will be going back into the White House uh, with Biden. So I, I, if I was sitting in Riyadh, I would be very, very worried. Mm-hmm. What I think is uh, quite symptomatic of the real problem we're facing here is that under normal circumstances, when a new president comes in, the period prior to the president taking office, between the election result and him taking office, is that you have countries trying to do their utmost to get on the good side of that new incoming president. That is not what we're seeing from Saudi Arabia, and it is certainly not what we're seeing from um, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel, where efforts are very clearly done to undermine Biden by, for instance, the assassination of the Iranian scientists, which I know the Biden administration viewed very, very negatively Mm -hmm. and as a direct shot at them. So the question is, how did we end up in a situation in which countries we call special friends and strategic partners feel that they have the, um, that they can do things like this against an American president with impunity? Now, if Trump does strike, what, what's your sense of, of how Iran uh, w- would respond? 
We should not forget that Iran is a country that has its own politics. And the sense inside of Iran is that the Iranians have shown a tremendous amount of restraint, a lot of criticism against the Rouhani government for what hardliners be believe is a lack of response from the Iranian side uh, to a whole set of different uh, things um, uh, that have occurred in the last couple of years, everything from their oil not being able to be sold to the assassination of Soleimani and now latest assassination of the Iranian nuclear scientist Fakhrizadeh. Uh, and their argument is that the lack of response from the Rouhani government, in their perspective, is the reason why these attacks continue. If the Iranians had responded, the calculation mm -hmm. in the United States and Israel and elsewhere would have shifted. But because it hasn't responded in their view, it's been a cost-free endeavor for the Israelis to assassinate Iranians inside of Iran or target Iranian assets in Syria, for instance. So now we're at a point in which if a major attack were to occur, while perhaps rationally it would be better for the Iranians to show restraint, wait for the Biden administration to come in in order to avoid a much larger uh, confrontation, the politics of the country may make that very difficult to uh, um, uh, to manifest itself, uh, politics can distort things and actually cause them to react very negatively, very aggressively, and then we will end up in a major confrontation. Oh boy. Is, is there anybody in the chain of command or around Trump who could act as a, a force against this? Or is this the case where Trump has surrounded himself with the type of people where if, he's, if he says press the button, they, they, they launch the missiles? Most people I talk to are of the view that part of the reason why this is, hasn't happened yet and why we had this situation in which you know every day there's a new press release from the Pentagon about where the Nimitz is going to be going is precisely because there's a lot of people pushing back uh, and a lot of people are trying to prevent this from happening, including going to the media uh, and saying that there is no intelligence that corroborates that there is any particular threat picture from Iran that is imminent at this stage. So clearly there are people that are pushing right. back, but I do at the same time believe that with a lot of the different changes that have taken place with people that he has fired left and right, uh, he is uh, he's probably facing less of that type of a pushback than he otherwise would have been. Um, uh, so, you know, we're, we're right now, it seems like the reason why we thankfully are not in that situation is precisely because there's people um, there are people inside the U.S. government within the Pentagon that are pushing back and preventing this from happening. And the fact that the Iranians so far have shown a degree of restraint and not res responded in ways that would provide the U.S. with a pretext for or Trump for a pretext for escalation. The Abrams Accord gets talked a lot about a, a major breakthrough. You know, the one of the few decent things that the Trump administration did in the Middle East. You know, how, how does that play into this situation? You know, what the Abrams Accord at the end of the day was, is on the one hand, uh, an arms deal in which the Israelis essentially managed to get recognition uh, um, from the UAE and a, and a non-opposition from the UAE, in fact, even financing of the occupation of Palestinian territories in return for the uh, UAE getting F-35s. But when you dig deeper, you see something that I think is even more worrisome. UAE doesn't buy F-35s because they think that he actually will be able to use them or need them. You buy these kind of weapons because you cannot get a, a defense pact with the United States. 
So this becomes a de facto defense pact, just like with the Saudis in Yemen right now. We don't have a defense pact with the Saudis, but because they're buying so much weaponry from the United States, the United States is essentially servicing that war in Yemen and coming to their defense. And this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to bind the United States mm -hmm. to the security of the UAE and these different states in order to prevent the United States from being able to reduce its military footprint in the Middle East at a time when the American public clearly wants to end these endless wars and leave the Middle East militarily and not be some sort of a mercenary that is being deployed by various allies in the region to fight their own rivalries. That's why I think this is a really worrisome development because it further bogs down the United States to be entangled in all of these different rivalries in the Middle East that frankly have very little bearing on US interests. Well, Trita, thanks as always for joining us on Deconstructed. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. That was Trita Parsi, and that's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our producer is Zach Young. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Ryan Grimm, D.C. Bureau Chief of The Intercept and, as I never tire of mentioning, author of the book We've Got People, from Jesse Jackson to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, The End of Big Money and the Rise of a Movement. And a big thank you to Vanessa B. for filling in for me during the last show. If you'd like to support Deconstructed, go to theintercept.com give. Your donation, no matter what the amount, makes a real difference. If you want to give us feedback, email us either at podcasts at theintercept.com or email me at ryan.grim at theintercept.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you later this week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.